Welcome back to Yang Daily. I'll be your host, Alex Cheney, bringing you all the Yang news you need to live your life right. You all probably don't remember, but this is a podcast you used to listen to way back like four days ago about news regarding Andrew Yang's policies. Rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Again, I did warn the schedule would be rocky for a while, but I've got so much good news it's going to make you forget all about how disappointed you are in me. Seriously, we've got four items to cover, and they're arguably all great news. So enough teasing, let's dig in. Quick shout out to our Tier 3 patrons, Shay Meehan and Nathan Stankowski, as well as all our other patrons. You keep us all informed and engaged. If any of you out there want to join these advocates of humanity first and independent journalism, head on over to patreon.com slash yangdaily. It would only take a couple of bucks a month from each listener to keep this podcast and community going and growing into the future. Now on to the news. We obviously talk a lot on this podcast about improving democracy through legislation, but Yang recently shared a fascinating alternative in the form of an article by William Kovacs. In it, he describes another avenue of attacking the duopoly, a judicial one. Anyone who knows anything about economics knows that monopolies are bad for business. They suppress the competition that is the font of innovation and efficiency, driving up costs and down quality, etc., etc. Well, this is no less true in politics. Political parties suppressing competition are bad for democracy. I'm sure you know this as well. We have antitrust laws in place to prevent the former, The question here is, could they also apply to the latter? Kovacs and many others believe so. Antitrust laws were written to prevent and correct monopolies in commerce, but as it turns out, they don't really define commerce, which means it's really up to the courts to interpret what those laws apply to. Kovacs argues there's a very good case to be made for actions of political parties qualifying as anti-competitive in commerce. It's no secret at all that the duopoly intentionally opposes the rise of other political parties in addition to their primary rival. Countless laws have been passed to make it difficult for third parties to get on the ballot, get public funding, or otherwise gain traction. Deals are cut with vendors and advertisers to bar the way, access to debates and media is denied, Districts are gerrymandered, non-pluralistic voting is sabotaged, and while political parties may technically be non-profit corporations, it's hard to argue that they don't control commerce. They make the laws that govern commerce, and those laws often give advantage to one company over another. They also directly employ companies of their choosing to do work with federal funds. A 2014 report from Andrew Prokop cites studies that found companies can get as much as a 22,000% return on lobbying, meaning that businesses pay these parties for a service. Not only is the exchange of money for services clearly commerce, but the service is often to advantage that company or industry over another, an inherently monopolistic act. David Dodson, challenger to an incumbent senator, wrote that Democrat and Republican campaign committees blacklist companies that do business with challengers, again, a monopolistic act. It's clear that there should be antitrust laws for politics, and it seems as though the courts could rule that there are. While the parties claim to be exempt from anti-monopoly laws, Kovacs and others disagree on a legal basis. The only way to find out which way it'll go is to bring the case. Now, I wasn't able to easily locate a base of operations for this lawsuit effort, but I will contact the author and look around some more. If I find an organization, I will let you know. If you find it before me, let us know. In the meantime, spread the idea around. We need to stop treating anti-competitive behavior in politics differently from economics. It is not okay, and it needs to stop. We need to stop it. Thanks to Killer Christie on Twitter for bringing this to Yang and my attention. 
This next bit of great news comes courtesy of Fair Vote Washington, quote, we're thrilled to share that the San Juan County Charter Review Commission has placed ranked choice voting on the 2022 ballot. Congratulations to all the advocates who made this happen. Now let's get to work talking to voters, end quote. Now, Fair Vote didn't actually provide a source for this news, and I had no luck finding one on the net, including trolling through San Juan County's website. Fortunately, Faye was better at navigating the website than me and directed me to the amendment document, so I can confirm it. Kind of. After looking through the document, it appears Fairvote slightly overstated the situation. The amendment appears to say that it will add RCV to the ballot after the bill is passed through the Washington State Legislature that would permit localities to utilize RCV on their ballots. That state bill is still working its way through the House. And if you're wondering why I say it takes so long to make this short podcast, stuff like this is the reason. Lots of research and fact-checking is the price of trustworthy reporting. So if you live in Washington as I do, or know someone who does, tell your state legislators to get SHB 1156 passed so we can improve our elections, and make sure to explain to the people in your life why RCV is important so that they can join you in advocating for it and make an informed decision when it's hopefully on the ballot next year. Shifting from democracy reform to welfare reform, New Jersey's governor has signed a state child tax credit expansion which passed the state legislature with unanimous approval. It raises the means-tested income limit from $60,000 to $150,000, including approximately 80,000 more residents. This program is in addition to the federal CTC and provides 10 to 50% as much as that one, or around $300 to $1,500 a year. Does your state have a CTC? If not, tell your legislators to get one. If so, let's keep stripping off those counterproductive conditions. Congrats to New Jersey families and all the advocates who made this win happen. And finally, a new study led by researchers at Washington and Appalachian State Universities using data from the Census Household Pulse Survey for the first three months of the new federal CTC's implementation found that the monthly payments had negligible impact on employment numbers and did allow many people to shift from private sector jobs to self-employment or nonprofit work. Those earning less than 50 grand annually saw the biggest increase. The share of those employed went from 13% to 16%, a massive 23% increase in entrepreneurship. Yes, I can count. That's a percent of a percent. The survey also found that adults were far less likely to list childcare as a reason for unemployment, dropping from 26% to below 20%, a 30% decline in childcare-induced unemployment. Over 60% of those earning less than $50,000 reported using the CTC on food, while over 20% used it on other essentials. Those earning over $150,000 were more likely to save or invest the money. That increase in entrepreneurship is enormous for the amount of income investment. More small business, all else being equal, means more competition, fair pricing, innovation, flexibility, locality, and general prosperity. Imagine if this were expanded to everyone. Imagine if the amount were increased to $1,000 a month or more as well. The benefit to both the economy and the welfare of the humans within it would be huge. Let's do that. And that'll do it for today's Yang Daily. Bookmark and share the Duopoly Antitrust, San Juan RCV, New Jersey CTC, and CTC Entrepreneurship Threads, praise be to the acronyms, flood Congress with calls, tweets, faxes, and letters using the easy volunteer contacts below. If you need help, consult the Income Movement Aid Database, the Mission Asset Fund, or United Way, and don't forget to Yang Daily.